Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, beloved church. We are glad that you are here this morning. I was reading last night about the word beloved and how it's used in Scripture oftentimes to talk about believers and that Jesus Christ is really God's beloved. And it's because of our relationship with him that we're his beloved. It's kind of old language for many of us, though, to to hear that word beloved. But I want you to know this. God loves you. And everybody comes here today with a different story that you've had since the last time we met together in this room. And I hope that you know and you're overwhelmed by that. I hope you've been blessed already by the singing uh, that we've experienced together. You can come back tonight. We're going to have a worship night. You'll hear more about that before the end of the service today. And uh, we're going to be doing more of that, just singing and praying together as a church. Uh, But this morning, we're going to take a little break from our series from 1 Peter that we're not home yet. And we're going to be in the book of Ruth for a little bit. We've got a guest speaker. I'm going to do she to him in just a moment. But uh, not only is our speaker a guest, I know some of you here are guests today. And so if you're a guest with us today, uh, I just want to ask you to to stop by the orange tent that you passed on your way in this morning. If you'll stop there, we've got a gift that we want to give you, a way of blessing you, some more information about the church, also uh, a gift that we'll give you if you like coffee. It's a really great stop, so why don't you stop there and get that. And then if you want to tell us some stuff about yourself, you're free to do that. If you don't want to, that's totally fine as well. We're just glad that you came and worshiped with us this morning. And I want to introduce you to our guest speaker. Our guest speaker is Jerome Gay. He's a lead pastor, founding pastor of the church, Vision Church in South Raleigh. And I was joking with him in the first service. And I said, it's one thing to get invited to a church. It's another thing to get invited back. He's been here before. So we already know that he's going to bring the word strong this morning. And I told him after he preached his message, I said, I don't want to do a long introduction because I just want to sit down and hear that again. I need to hear it. And he's going to give us some, some warnings, some symptoms of things that we do sometimes. And I said, I don't think there's one that didn't apply to me. And so I know some of you are so holy and righteous that none of this is going to apply to you this morning. Totally get that. Uh, But I want to tell you a little bit about Jerome. Jerome's the lead pastor of Vision Church down in South Raleigh. So if you come from that area or if you know some folks in that area, please send them there. Uh, He's a brother in the gospel, preaching the gospel for sure in in that area. But also, he and I went through the same training with uh, Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, just preparing us to plant the church. They're about eight years old. He's got his lovely family with him him here this morning, Uh, Crystal, his wonderful wife. So why don't you give her a hand before he even comes on up? And then his his two kids are here as well. They've been married for about 16 years, 17 years this year. And uh, so he's going to come on up here, bring the word from the book of Ruth. And as he's coming up here, uh, he didn't ask me to do a sales pitch or anything, but he wrote a book uh, called Renewal, and it's, it's about the book of Ruth from the Bible. And there's a table in the lobby after you leave here today, and he's going to be out there at the table. So if you want to talk to him, you can go out there, and his book is for sale out there. Now, if you Google it right now and you're like, I'm not messing with the line out of the table, on Amazon you're going to pay $14.99. We've got a special Southbridge discount. It's only $12.99. So there you go. There's a benefit of being at church today already for being here. Uh, but Jerome's going to come on up. He's going to preach from Ruth, and I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray for us, too, as we open up the Bible this morning. So let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Brother Jerome being here with us today. I pray for his church, Vision Church, as their pastor's away. I pray, God, that you would have the preacher that's preaching there this morning just bring the word strong, and that lives would be impacted, that that person would have a boldness like they've never had before. Empower them with your spirit to have a boldness and a courage to preach your truth. And, Father, I pray for us as we're here and we're gathered in your name. God, we're united with that church, Vision Church, and other churches that are preaching in your name today. And God, I pray for those churches too, but I pray in this meeting right now that what we talked about earlier in the service and what we sang about, that we invited you here, that your spirit would be here. Do you make us sensitive to your spirit? You convict where conviction is required, that you would 
encourage, for those who need encouragement, that you'd fan the flame that's just a spark in their heart that just bring revival in their life. And, and Father God, I pray for Jerome as he preaches that you'd anoint yes. him with your word, that you'd anoint yes, him Lord. with your truth. And I know he preached a, a great message in first service. You may want to do something different right now. Right. Make him sensitive to that. Yes, and Father God, will you be here in our midst? Will you not ever let us get so callous to you that we stop hearing from you and that you stop mm. speaking? Mm. God, I pray that we'd be a church that would bear fruit, fruit of patience and kindness, yes. the fruit of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Scott. Well, good morning, Southbridge family. Good morning. I'm glad to be before you. As he said, uh, I have the privilege of being the pastor of Vision Church. Uh, We are going on eight years old this year. I'm also grateful that my wife uh, joined me today. My wife is consistent. Uh, She does not come to first service at our church, and she did not come to first service here. Uh, so she came to second service. So, uh, but that is my wife, getting ready to be 17 years. That's my boo. And so I'm grateful for her. And uh, I got to put her on the spot, my lovely daughter, who will always be my princess. She's covering her ears. Daddies with daughters know what I'm talking about. Uh, can I get a witness? Daddies with daughters. Yeah. Amen. All right. And uh, my boy, who is six years old. And so I, I'm grateful. Uh, if you can, roof chapter one. Uh, oh, let me say this to guests. You know, uh, I know, I, I know. You're disappointed, didn't get to hear the regular guy. That's what that means is you got to come back next week. And so my, my prayer is that if you're searching for a church and you're on this side of town, I pray that the search is over and that you'll be able to link up with some wonderful people here at Southbridge. And I know Pastor Scott is going to bring it. So hopefully I don't disappoint you. Give me a chance. Uh, but I'm grateful uh, to be able to share uh, the stage that he preaches on every week. All right, Ruth chapter 1. I want to read one verse. I do ask, can you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're just going to read verse 6. So can you turn your Bibles to or turn your Bibles on? Uh, uh, You know, (laughs) turn your Bibles on. I know how we are in 2018. Uh, And I'm going to read from the ESV version. I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me. We'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of grace and that we are your sons and daughters, not by anything that we've done. Lord, we cannot earn your favor, uh, but you are simply that good and you are that gracious. And we are grateful for what the Apostle John tells us in the book of 1 John, that letter. He says that God is love. And so we rest in that reality, Jesus, that you are not only love, but you are loving. And so we're grateful that you are a good, good father, and we can rest in your truth. I pray that you would absolutely move me out the way, Lord, that I would preach under the anointing and power of the Holy Ghost, God, and that uh, your people would hear what's needed. And if there is someone that does not know you, Lord, would you begin to soften their heart to the beauty of your gospel? Draw them to yourself, Jesus, that they can know what true and authentic life is because it's found in you and you alone, Father. We ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to share from the idea this morning of a renewed expectation. Uh, what we're going to see in the text today is how, how the gospel renews our perspective on life, but how it also restores our expectations in God himself. And what we see here is this woman named Naomi, and she experiences tragedy, and, and, and this tragedy causes her to suffer from what I call decreased expectation. 
And this is something that maybe you haven't heard it phrased that way, but I believe many of us, if we've lived with Jesus for longer than three weeks, uh, we know that life still happens and tragedy still happens and difficulty still happens. In fact, if some of you would just be real with me this morning, it seemed like, I didn't say it is, but it seemed like the moment you came to Christ, things seemed to get worse. Okay, I got a witness up in here. <laughs> Amen. We're good then. So, so, but we see this in the life of uh, Naomi. And, and what happens when we experience difficulty and we experience tragedy, we begin to lower our expectations of God. And when we lower our expectations of God, it's hard to have faith in someone you don't expect to do much for you or in you or through you. And this is what we see in the life of Naomi here. And what we have to learn, the way the Word will encourage us and, and challenge us today, is, is we have to live with what Philip Yancey calls ambidextrous faith. He says the believer has to be able to live with God's blessing in their right hand and pain in their left. And until he returned, we all have to live with this ambidextrous faith. Because what the Lord does and what he did, he didn't die simply to just meet all of our needs. He wants to transform us for us to understand who he is and what he wants to do in and through us. Another author says it this way. He says, the line of demarcation that separates faith from being superficial to being substantive is our expectations. You know, we go through it, we experience disappointment when what we expect does not match what we experience. Any witnesses here? When what, what I expect from God doesn't match what I experience. And, and what I found, and I've been walking with the Lord for, for a little bit, I found, I've, God showed me something. And perhaps you found this out. Did you know that God says no? Did you know that? That, that sometimes you pray and God's response is no. And, and when that happens, my personal experience, he said no more than he said yes, but it's in hindsight I've been able to say thank you for saying no to that prayer. Because he understands what we need, how we need it, and who we need in our life. And this is what we'll see, how the symptoms of decreased expectation, but then the renewed hope that takes us from being bitter to being better. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughter-in-law uh, to return from the country of Moab. She had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now, uh, the, we, we know that Ruth was written during the time of the judges. Moses had to appoint these judges. And the, the, the cultural climate is similar to ours today. Judges chapter 17, verse 6, captures the cultural climate of that day. And it says this, In those days there was no king, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. And in our culture today, we just say, we use the phrase, do you, or the mantra, do you. It's this idea of pursuing what makes you happy, regardless if it lacks integrity or not. And that was going on during that country. And so we meet this guy in verses 1 through 5 named Elimelech. Elimelech, name, his name means God is my king, but he didn't make decisions as if God was his king. So he chooses to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go to Moab. And based on Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 6, that was not only a bad decision, but that was a violation of what God had commanded his people, the people of Israel, to do. He should not have gone to Moab. But he makes this decision. He goes to Moab, and Elimelech dies. And the Bible tells us that, that 10 years later, uh, his two sons die, Malin and Killian. 
And so, so you have Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah left. And what the, the Lord begins to, begins to show us through his word is the symptoms of decreased expectation, but, but more importantly, how we can suffer from this, but we are not without hope. That God still moves and he's still active. Verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, it's important, clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. The first symptom of decreased expectation is assuming God's will without consulting God through prayer. Notice that she assumes that she's going to go back to Bethlehem because this is chronicling her return back, but she assumes that she's going to go back and that she's going to go back alone. And the Bible does not record her praying about that decision. It's interesting that this is what decreased expectation does is we stop, because we're lowered our expectations of God, we stop consulting and communicating with him. And so because she's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, what she's losing is hope. And as a result, she assumes God's will without actually consulting God about his will for her life. And you and I do the same thing. We experience loss, we experience tragedy, and we begin to think that we can predict how God is going to move. Or we don't expect him to because we've internalized our tragedy. We've internalized our suffering. And here's what she's doing. So she says, listen, you, got, you girls, go on back to Moab, and she expects to go back alone. She does not consult God about this. She's also internalized her loneliness. Losing her husband, losing her two sons, has, has her believing that she's lonely. Now listen to me, and I, and I want you to hear this. Loneliness is not a reality for a believer. Loneliness may be a feeling, but it is not a reality. Why? Because in John 14, Jesus promised those that believe in him the Holy Spirit. So if we have the Holy Spirit, we are never outside of his presence, and we are never alone. So that first symptom is assuming God's will without consulting him through prayer. The second symptom of decreased expectation is believing that we don't deserve love and rejecting love's advances. Notice what she says in verses 10 and 11. She asks a question, but she, she really doesn't want the answer to it. She says, why will you go back with me? Why, why will you go back with me? But she doesn't want an answer because she's already internalized her pain. I'm going back alone, and I'm just going to sit in this misery. I've lost three men that mean a lot to me, and so I'm just going to stay in this place of misery. But, but she assumes that they don't love her. She assumes Ruth's own integrity. 
Because that's what happens when we internalize our tragedy. And not only do we decrease our expectation of God, but it decreases our expectation of others as well. So she says, why do you want to go back with me? And some of you are asking the same question, right? The same question, but, but you're applying it to uh, maybe different circumstances. This idea of not understanding that God, God still loves you and he, God still wants to pursue you. And the question is, why do you love me, God, when my dad didn't? Why do you love me, God, when my spouse left me? Why do you love me, God, when I'm not even on speaking terms with my children? And it's this question where we internalize our pain and we assume that because, because we experience tragedy that God is still not active. But listen to me, God is always attentive, aware, and available of where we are in life and exactly what we need. And he's still active here. He wants her to know that God is doing something. But basically, she has this idea of, of people because her expectations of God have been lowered and her, when you lower your expectations of God. You do the same thing with people. And so she assumes that the only reason that they're in her life is for what they can get from her. Have you been there? Right? And basically her disposition is this. What do you need? Parents know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what do you need? Like, like people, people are only in your life for what they can get from you. When you internalize pain, you begin to assume the motives of others. Don't you see this? They haven't, notice they haven't really said anything yet. Don't go back with me. I'm going alone. Go back to Moab, to your plural, gods. Go back. But that's that second symptom there. Is she doesn't realize that God is going to use Ruth in her life. The third symptom here is the third symptom of decreased expectation is believing that God is against you. Notice what she says in verse 13. She says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, here's what's, here's what's funny about Naomi, because she's a Jewish woman. So she would be familiar with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And isn't it interesting that she can believe the Exodus narrative? So she can believe that God in his power caused the Red Sea to stand at attention. She could believe that God could cause the Red Sea to stand at attention. She could believe as a Jewish woman that God allowed manna to fall from heaven, or the way I like to say it, hush puppies from heaven. <laughs> we in the South, y'all familiar with hush puppies? Hush puppies fall from heaven. She could believe that, but she doesn't believe that God is going to use Ruth in her life. Don't go with me. I'm going to go back alone. And, and when we internalize our pain, it also reveals our prejudice, because she, she doesn't think this Gentile woman has anything to offer. Or, or maybe I'll say it this way. Sometimes we miss God's will because we don't like God's packaging. God, the Bible tells us that God uses the foolish thing to confound the wise, and so God may use someone that without a college degree to give you wisdom. God may use someone without the same social, socioeconomic background that you have. Some, God may use someone of, of a different culture, a different race. Just to show you, I'm at work. And don't you ever think you can predict my next move. If you could, you be God. Don't predict my hand. You'll be wrong every time. I'm pursuing you, just not how you thought I was, Naomi. I'm going to use a woman 
who's totally, she's a totally different, her, her culture is totally different than yours. I, I'm, I'm going to use Ruth. But remember that third symptom is believing that God is against me. She says, the hand of the Lord is against me. Isn't it funny, though, how we disobey God, then blame him for the results of our disobedience? <laughs> oh, nobody at Southbridge. Well, people at Vision, <laughs> the church I pastor, uh, yes, yeah, sometimes we disobey God, then we blame God for the results of our disobedience. Now, here's the thing you, you can't miss, all right? Her husband died, but the Bible tells us through verses 1 through 5, she stayed there 10 additional years. Get this and don't miss this. Pain is inevitable, but misery is a choice. She chose to stay there 10 additional years. God already told her they were not supposed to go to Moab. That was a violation of Deuteronomy chapter 23. But here she is in a place of disobedience, missing the fact that verse 6 lets us know God reaches, reaches her in her place of disobedience, letting her know that she can come back home. Yet she says, God is against me. That's us. Disobey him, we get the fruit of our disobedience. Then we say, God, you're against me. No, God isn't, no, my hand isn't against you. My hand is reaching out for you through this Moabite woman, this culturally different woman. <laughs> you just gotta stop rejecting me based on my packaging. Because I rarely come how you think I will. That's why I'm God. That's why my word says my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, because I can think with eternity and know every step of it. So, trust me. Trust me. That's what God is, is saying here. Pain is inevitable, but misery is a choice. You do not have to stay in that place. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I don't want... I don't want to sound as if we're lacking compassion here. Yes, she should mourn the loss of her husband. Yes, she should mourn the loss of her two sons. But yes, life does continue. God does not want us, God doesn't want us to stay in a place of misery. The fourth symptom of decreased expectation is allowing correct predictions to replace faith. That's verses 14 and 15. Remember, she, she already told them, ladies, you go ahead and go back. You go back to Moab. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. You go to your people. I'm going to go to mine. You go to your gods, plural. I'm going to go to my God, singular. And she, was, she got a 50% on, on her prediction exam. She was right about Orpah. And what's funny is Orpah's name means neck. And she showed Naomi the back of her neck when she went back to Moab. <laughs> That's what she did. But Ruth, Ruth, the Bible says, clung to her. And it's the Hebrew word devak. And it carries the same idea of Genesis, of marriage. And, and sometimes, guys, when, when we experience heartache and we experience pain and we experience letdown and we lower expectations of God, we start to become extremely cynical and we predict letdown. Can I talk back? We predict it's just a matter of time before you leave too. It's just a matter of time before you disappoint me. It's just a matter of time before you reject me. So I'm just waiting to see you let me down. And we allow those correct predictions because she was right. And sometimes we think people are going to fail us, and they do. 
Sometimes we expect the worst and we're right, but the question is, do we want to be right or do we want to be restored? Because God has said, even though, yeah, you'll be right about some people, but you won't always be right about me. <laughs> you, won't always, you, you won't always, you won't know my next move, and you don't know who I'll send and how I'll send them in your life. But just trust that the way you tangibly experience me is through people. And they may not look like you. They may not vote like you, but I can use them in your life. Here's the point that God is showing Naomi and he's showing us. Listen, God doesn't just want to meet our needs. He wants to be our greatest need. God is not this cosmic concierge where he's just waiting like, what, what next? What do you need? Next, what do you need? No, that's not how he responds to prayer. He's saying, do you pray to me just to understand more about me? Or do all of your prayers consist of a bullet list of things you want me to do? And so in order, in order to show you that you and I haven't been talking and communicating as much as, as I would like, sometimes the Lord chooses withdrawal. Withdrawal of things, withdrawal of position, and yes, as hard as this is, sometimes God removes people to get our attention, to bring us back to a place of dependency. He wants to be our greatest need. And he's saying that even though you experience tragedy, don't you dare think that I'm not at work or that I'm not for you. I can remember uh, the second year of our church, we'll be eight years old this year. Second year of our church, we were looking for a building. We, we used to meet in a converted theater. I know your history because I, I preached when you guys were at the theater. We, we met at a converted theater where each theater was a church. And so you had six churches meeting simultaneously. Right. That's, how, that's why we wanted to leave. All right. So, <laughs> so, so people would get, could get mad at me and literally walk across to another church. <laughs> You're laughing, but that happened. And so second year, I go before the church and I say, hey, family, I'm, I want us to believe God that the first Sunday in August of that year, we are going to be in a new building. January rolls around, nothing. February, nothing. March, nothing. April, nothing. May. Oh, praise God for May. May comes around and then my assistant gets a call from uh, a guy who was a part of this church. And it, was, it was a dying church. They were down to eight people, but they had a building. The building was owned free and clear. And they said, they, we heard about the mentorship program you guys have. We got four areas of outreach at Vision, poor, prisoner, single parent, unborn. So our ladies volunteered a place called Gateway Free Sonograms because it increases the chance of them keeping the baby. And so we, we do these things, and we got a mentorship program with the Boys Club. And, and so they were like, we heard about what you're doing, and we have this building, and we want to know if you were interested. I told my assistant, call him immediately. So we began to talk, and uh, we we're talking about things, and they said, you know, we, we got to come uh, hear you preach. So they came and heard me preach, and, and they were down to eight people, and the, the church was called Gilbert Street Baptist Church, and they had to vote. Baptists love voting. <laughs> eight people had to vote. Would you believe the vote didn't go through the first time? It didn't. The guy that started this whole process, he's, he, he begins to really lobby, like, hey, guys, let's, can we think in terms of legacy? And we should give this church the vision. And they voted again, and the vote went through. Hallelujah. And, and they gave us the building, the fellowship hall, and a van. <laughs> Praise God. 
Here's, here's my point. That was a very trying year for us as a church. And it'd be real easy, based on God not doing certain things for, for me as a pastor or for the church, to lower expectation. And I'm not saying that if, if we didn't get there, uh, we didn't get the building that God is not good. And guess what? Guess when we had our first service? First Sunday in August. Here's my point. is don't stop expecting God to be God. Amen. Regardless of what happens, regardless of what, what he has to remove, don't stop expecting God to be God. Expect him to be who he is. Pray God's will with expectancy. See, some of us pray God's will as a disclaimer. Here's what I mean. I'm not telling you not to pray God's will, okay? But some of us use the phrase, if God's will, as a disclaimer for our disappointment. We only use that phrase because we really don't expect them to come through. So we just put at the end, if God wills. Because <laughs> we really don't believe he's going to come through. Don't you know that God knows that you really don't believe? He knows that we really don't believe. And we need to pray for a deeper expectation. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him who was able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. Verse 16, but Ruth said, this is her response to Naomi's uh, diatribe on going back to Moab. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death, that's the idea of devak, parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. The fifth symptom of decreased expectation is a disregard for the loss. Please don't miss this. Naomi encouraged her to go back to her gods. And when we experience tragedy, when we internalize our pain, we stop caring about others. She encouraged her to go back to a false god, a woman with the, 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 the triune god, the, the god who created Created everything, the heavens and the earth, the, the God who allowed that red sea to part that she could believe, who allowed that manna to fall from heaven. She says, no, go back to the polytheism, the many gods that are in Moab. It's a disregard for her soul. And this is why we have to fight against it. This is why the Bible tells us if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Because he knows, God knows we're prone to think if there's anything worthy of depression, we'll think on those things. It's true. We're prone to just think about what didn't happen. And God wants to remind us, think about times in the past that I came through for you. Meditate on those things. Don't, not, it, you can mourn over your tragedy. You can mourn over the marriage not making it, but that doesn't define you. Yes, you can mourn over the, the pain of a miscarriage. But not even that, that doesn't define you. God can redeem your pain. That's what he specializes in. Redemption, renewal. 
And he wants our expectations of him renewed. Isn't it funny how this non-believer at this point is more Christ-like than a believer? Did you notice that? I mean, Ruth is, Ruth is, going to, is ultimately pointing us in a way until we meet Boaz. She's kind of pointing us to Christ. Because even though Naomi is rejecting, pushing her away, she keeps pursuing. No, I, I will not let you go. Devok, no, I'm going to cling to you as if we're married. I, I'm going to push past your rejection. And this is what Jesus does in our lives. We're rejecting him. We're living according for, for our own will. We're living for our own selfish motives. And God says, no, I'm still going to pursue you. And I work through your rejection because I love you. Verse 19. So Naomi relents, but just, just so we don't miss the emotional context of the text, it wasn't a joyful okay. It was like, all right, you won't leave me alone. All right. Ladies, it's almost like that guy that just doesn't take no for an answer. You're not sitting next to him, but just, you know, that, that, that guy. <laughs> Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now listen to what she says. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest. The sixth symptom of decreased expectation is bitterness. Naomi's name means pleasant. And she says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. That's what Mara means. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Remember, she's a Jewish woman, and the Mara refers to Exodus chapter 15. Now, here's what's interesting. Exodus chapter 15, uh, it, it records this, this part of redemptive history where Moses is leading the people, and the people are, are, are dying from uh, dehydration, and they are thirsty, and they come to this lake called Mara, but the water is bitter, and they can't drink it. And so the Lord tells Moses, I want you to take this log, and I want you to throw it into the water. And when Moses obeys God, he takes the log, he throws it in the water, and the bitter water becomes sweet. Now, isn't it interesting that she can remember that miracle, because that's what she's referring to when she says, no, call me Mara. She remembers the bitterness of the water, but not the sweetness of the log. Isn't it interesting? That's what happens to us, that when we internalize our pain, we miss the fact that that's a miracle. That is pointing to what Jesus does in our lives. He enters the bitter place of creation. He enters the bitter place of our heart. He enters the bitter place of our experiences. And he says that even though you are bitter, when you trust me, I make bitter water sweet. I make bitter attitude sweet. I make bitter people sons and daughters. This is the beauty of the gospel. And so, but because she's lowered her expectation, all she remembers is the bitter water, but she misses the miracle of God making the bitter water sweet. Question, are you there? Do you just remember the bitter water but miss the miracle? She's referring to this part of redemptive history, and she misses what God did to the bitter water. 
But let's go a step further to show you the depth of her bitterness. She even says, not only changed my name to bitter, but she also says, I left full and I came back empty. That's a total disregard for Ruth. Ruth is leaving everything familiar to cling the vak to her. She's leaving her cultural norms, and she's leaving the polytheism of Moab and saying, I'm going to cling to you. Naomi's missing the fact that not only is Ruth showing us Christ's likeness, Naomi has forgotten the fact that she's broke. So how, how could Ruth be trying to get something from you? You don't have anything to offer. Because we understand Jewish culture. The husband and the sons, the sons will be next in line to take care of you. They're gone. But yet she still wants you. Why? God is showing her. I'm attentive. I'm aware. I'm available. I have not forgotten you. You got to stop rejecting the packaging that I chose to use to show you my love. Because it's culturally different or perhaps racially different. Don't limit how I can show you my love. Don't miss this. God makes the bitter places sweet. God lets us know that we can return home. I like to call them God's street signs. God God uses, just to bring it home, God gives us street signs to let us know when we're out of his will, but also to let us know that we can return. They were not supposed to go to Moab, but even though they went to Moab, it is in Moab that they found out that they can return home. That's grace. But the first sign God gives us is do not enter. Okay? Do not enter is a straight-up violation of Scripture. There's, there's nothing to pray about because God's Word says don't do it. I, I wonder if he's the one. No, he's married. <laughs> so there's nothing to pray about. <laughs> nothing to pray about. Do not enter. So do not enter. It's a straight violation of Scripture. Now, again, because you guys are just so godly, no one has ever saw a do not enter sign and said, hmm, let me see what's in there. But I've done this. And we go past the do not enter sign, and we violate Scripture. And the next sign we see is when, when we go past the do not enter sign, we see wrong way. Wrong way. And this is what the Lord does when we're doing the wrong way. God begins to speak through difficulty. And he begins, he, he begins to do things in our life to show us that we're in a place of disobedience. And he, he wants us to return to him. Now, let me say this. I'm not saying that the only time we experience difficulty is a result of disobedience. The Bible tells us that those who choose to live a godly lifestyle must endure persecution. So, yes, sometimes difficulty comes for doing the right thing. But God also uses difficulty because we've done the wrong thing. So we, we ignored the do not enter sign. Again, me, not Southbridge people, but you ignore the do not enter sign. You ignore the wrong way sign, and you still just, you just determine you're prideful. You're going to make this work. You're going to show God. So God says, I got another sign for you. Dead end. <laughs> Amen? The, the dead end sign is this. You stop producing fruit. There's no more fruit. You're not producing fruit. And you don't hear from him as clearly. Because you went past the do not enter. You went past the wrong way. He says, dead end. And God is immutable. You will not change his mind. But, but here's grace. Say grace. grace. 
This is, this is grace. You, you will see on the road of disobedience, you'll see the do not enter sign. You'll see the wrong way sign. You'll see the dead end sign. But you know what sign you won't see? You won't see this one, a no U-turn sign. See, meaning that you can make a U-turn. God, verse 6, is her divine U-turn that even though she still wants to be bitter, even though she's still choosing misery, God is saying that if there's breath in your body, I allow you to turn back to me and I pursue you so that you can turn to me. He makes it clear in John 15, you didn't choose me. You didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what? I want to go ahead and start living godly. No, he says, no, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to produce fruit, fruit that will last. God is letting you know you can make that U-turn. In chapter 2, we meet Boaz, and this lets us know that this, this story is not a how-to-get-a-man story. Contrary to popular belief, it's about how Boaz points us to the God-man. Ruth meets Boaz. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And there's some love elements because you have this older man who's shocked that this young, beautiful woman wants him. And they end up together. And and this is how the gospel renews expectation. Right here in chapter 1. It still seems kind of hopeless when we finish chapter one. She wants to make her name bitter. She has lost hope. She does not care about, Nay, about Ruth. But things change. In chapter four, there's this beautiful picture. And the Bible is very descriptive that Naomi has Obed, the son of Ruth and Boaz, in her lap. And so, so God took her from bitterness to being better through this Gentile woman who leaves the familiar to show the love of God. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Little Obed, who could have had a bitter grandma, she's sitting there looking at her grandson. (laughs) And it's through Obed that we get to Jesse. And it's through Jesse that we get to David. And it's through David that we get to Solomon. And it's through that line that we get to Jesus. We get to our Savior. And so even in the midst of our bitter place, God says you can make a U-turn. Three things I'm out your way. One, ask for an attitude of thanksgiving and pray that way daily. Two, expect God to do great things in you, through you, and around you. Don't allow difficulty to taint your expectation. And number three, entreat the Holy Spirit to cultivate a spirit of expectancy in you. Some of you in this place where you need to make a U-turn, and this U-turn is not just an analogy. It's a, it's, it's a decision concerning eternity. And I pray that you'll make that today. For those of us that are believers, and it's been a rough season, a rough year, a rough couple of years, The U-turn for you is to stop staying in that place of misery and choosing the Messiah. 